The following audio is from First Baptist Church of Conyers. More information about First Baptist Conyers is available at firstconyers.com. This morning we're going to continue through the Gospel of Mark and picking up in the last story in Mark chapter 2. And the question really that we're going to answer today is something that Jesus spoke to through, um, through means of display of His power. And the question is, what about the Sabbath? What about the Sabbath? In my opinion, this is my opinion, you can take it, leave it, chunk it, or flush it, okay? Because my opinion really doesn't matter. But, but when I look at all of the commands of God, especially those in, in, the, in the law of the Ten Commandments, I think this might be one of the commands that God had given that we as the modern church or followers of Christ may be more guilty of violating than any of the other commands. And I would propose to you that this command is just as valid as thou shalt not murder. Would everybody say amen to that? They're God's commands. When, when we look at our culture and our society, it's very evident that we live in a 724-365 society. You know what I mean by that? It, it seems like seven days of the week, 24 hours a day, 365 days of the year, we seem to run helter-skelter. Isn't it that way? Uh, And with modern technology, which really is intended to make our life simpler, seems to make it more complex. Uh, It used to be that the only thing I had to worry about was answering a phone call. And then it got to the point of, well, you need to fax it over to me and I need to check my fax. Then the pagers came out. Do you remember the beepers? Okay. They came out and they went away. And then cell phones came out. And if you were like me, you spent a life savings on your first cell phone. And when you got the first month's bill, you realized you're going to have to work the rest of your life to pay for that cell phone bill. And then came along Facebook. And not only Facebook, but Facebook Messenger. And so where people would send us notes through Facebook and there's an expectation of a reply. And then came with the smartphones, texting that is very popular. And then there's Instagram and now there's email. And not just one email account, but I have my personal email account. I have the email account that I give to uh, stores that I never read. And then I have my work email account. And do you understand what I'm saying? And we feel this compulsion to be continually on and I would propose that that is not how God intended for us to live and when we look at this 724 365 society that we live uh, anthropologists psychologists doctors will tell us if you google this the effects of a busy culture or overwhelmed society, they will tell you that it has been one of the number one contributors to the breakdown of the family. Do you remember when mama said you're at the house at five o'clock because five o'clock is dinner and that's when we eat dinner together? The average family today eats dinner together about once every two weeks. And then often it is at a fast food restaurant where they're cramming it down to get to the kids' next activity. They'll tell you that it's been one of the most, uh, the highest contributing factor to the breakdown in our social structure, our social structure within our country. 
They'll tell you that this fast-paced living that we live, the 724-365, contributes to more health issues today than any other uh, event in our lives. Primarily because of the lack of sleep and the lack of healthy nutrition. Because we're going from this place to the next and we grab something at Bojangles. Now, whose toe did I just step on? Mental health issues are related to this, leading oftentimes to depression and an overwhelming sense of anxiety. Financial issues, and one of the reasons for financial issues is because we spend money on stuff just because we're on the run. And the other thing, it feeds that depression and that sense of lack of purpose in life. Pretty bad news, huh? Lastly, I would say when I look at the church, or in particular the mission of the church to win people to Jesus, to make disciples of them, and to send them for Jesus, our 724-365 impedes more than anything else the mission that Jesus has given to us as a church and body of believers. Jesus is going to speak to this today in these two stories, Matthew chapter 2. If you remember at this time, Jesus is in about the end of the second year of His ministry, beginning the third year or so of His three-year ministries. Uh, and the Pharisees at this time, because Jesus had been doing some things. You remember last week, Jesus had claimed to be God by saying that He is authorized to forgive sin here on earth. And this ruffled the Pharisees' feathers. The miracles that he's performing, and in particular, the breaking, or what they would call the breaking of the Sabbath, they were looking for ways to bring charges against Jesus. You see, the Pharisees had developed a system of oral teachings that, that were centered around the, the law, but there were additional teachings, oral teachings, that they commanded so that it would keep others from violating the law. And the thing that Jesus was coming against most was the power that the Pharisees held over the people, and He was interrupting their side cash flow in a religious system. How many of you know you interrupt the cash, you're going to get people upset at you, right? And so Jesus is here at this time, and as a matter of fact, at the end of this, we're going to see for the first time that the Pharisees actually set in place a plot where they might kill Jesus. And so read with me and follow along as we begin looking, beginning at the 23rd verse of chapter 2. I want to make some comments as I read through both of these. And then I want to look at it in this approach, three-pronged. One is this. The Sabbath concept established by God. Now notice I'm going to use the term concept. The Sabbath concept established by God originally. What was it? And then we're going to see how in Jesus' day, leading up to that day, how the Sabbath concept had been corrupted and violated by religious leaders. And then lastly, as second, past the cross as believers today, how then are we to live out and still adhere to what has never gone away, and that is the command to keep the Sabbath day holy, and how that should apply to our lives today. So follow along with me, beginning in verse 23. Mark records for us, one Sabbath, he, meaning Jesus, was going through the grain fields. 
And as they made their way, the disciples began to pluck heads of grain. Now, this would have been a wheat field, and they're walking, and the grain is probably up to their waist. And as they're going along, they're picking these grains from the wheat. And the Pharisees were saying to Jesus, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Now, according to God's command and the law, it was not unlawful to pick grain of wheat on the Sabbath. But the Pharisees, in their additional laws that they had placed on top of God's law, they had deemed it a violation of the Sabbath to even pick grain off the tip of the head of the wheat. And he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, and he was with those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and in the time of the high priest, and he ate the bread of the presence? which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also give it to those who were with him. And Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now Jesus is using a comparison here. Because his disciples were walking through and they were picking grain. And in the Pharisees' mind, the, the law was not necessarily broken when they, pitched the, when they picked the grain. But it was broken because they had to take the grain and rub it between their hands to separate the wheat from the chaff. And in that, they constituted that that was work on the Sabbath. And therefore, they had violated the Sabbath command. And Jesus uses David as an example here, another godly man who when he was there with his warriors entered into the holy place and the bread was there that was set aside, made for only the priest to eat. And when his men were hungry, they ate the bread. And Jesus makes the point, listen, the Sabbath was created for man, not man for the Sabbath. You see, the Pharisees were missing the heart of the issue and concentrating on the letter of the issue. Now let's look at the second story, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 3. Again, he entered the synagogue, and this is, of course, on the Sabbath day. It was actually Saturday, would have been the Sabbath day in the Jewish week calendar. He entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. They, they had their eyes fixed on Jesus and they were looking to see, let's see if he heals this man with a withered hand. And I assume and think that it may be possible that the Pharisees had set up this event hoping to trap Jesus to see whether or not he would heal on the Sabbath and violate their law. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? And this is kind of an ironic rhetorical question Jesus is asking because the Pharisees taught, you know, it's okay to do good on the Sabbath, but you can't do evil. And Jesus was pointing out, which would be more evil? To not heal this man on the Sabbath who is in need of healing, or which would be most good, and that would be to heal this man of his lame hand. And so he looked around at them with anger. You might translate that more with righteous indignation. He looked around at the Pharisees with righteous indignation, and he was grieved at the hardness of their heart. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. 
The Pharisees went out immediately. They held counsel with the Herodians against Jesus. Now, it's interesting how two enemies can become friends when they're set against another enemy. Because the Herodians were supporters of Herod, who was favorable to Rome, and the Pharisees hated Rome. Now, all of a sudden, you find these two enemies, two diabolically opposed, uh, diabolically opposed political views coming together in order to come against Jesus. So they gathered together against him to see how they might destroy him, or other translations say, so that they might kill him. Father, we pray that as we look at your word, and Lord, not just at your word, but Jesus, we look at the word, that's Jesus. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the word, the expression of God. Lord, that we might see your heart in this, Lord, that God, we would be a people who live according to the spirit and not according to the letter. Or for your word tells us the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, let's look at this point one. The Sabbath concept established. So we understand all that's taking place here in Mark. We've got to go all the way back to see when God established this day that was called Sabbath that was to be set apart from all of the other days. We find this very early in Scripture in Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. In the creation account, when God had created all things in six days... Moses records to us, and on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day, and he made it holy. Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Now, the first thing I want to point out is God never gets tired, right? So it wasn't as if God needed to rest from His creation on the seventh day, but He rested on that day as a model and a demonstration to us how that that seventh day for all of mankind was to be set apart as a day that was holy. And that word holy simply means set apart, meaning that it was going to be different from all of the other six days of the the week. And God set it aside and He rested on that day Later, giving that as a command that we too would set aside that seventh day, set aside unto the Lord, different from our normal activity, so that it might be separated unto Him. And as Mark points out in his gospel, the Sabbath day was created for man and his well-being. Wouldn't it be nice to have a seventh day of the week that we just set aside from all normal activities just to rest? And give it over to the Lord. Later we find this command given in the Ten Commandments. One of the ten. Where God had established and given through the law of the Ten Commandments on Moses. That he had set apart this holy day to be different from all the other days of normal commerce. From the other six. And it was a day of rest that was to be dedicated to God. And we find this in Exodus chapter 20. Beginning in verse 8. Where God reiterates to the commandment through Moses. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Now this is not an option that God has given to man. God has commanded that we remember the Sabbath day. And we keep it holy. Meaning set apart unto him. 
He says, six days you shall labor and do all of your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you, your son, or your grand or your daughter, your male servant, or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner, the visitor who is within your gates. For in six days, here he goes back to the creation account, as God set the concept of the Sabbath. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and it's all that's in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath, and he made it holy. One other incident that I want to refer us to. Do you remember when the children of Israel were led captive to Babylon? Well, one of the major violations that they were found guilty of is they had gotten to the place where they completely and continually violated the Sabbath that God had established. Not only in their own lives, in that they were continuing commerce, and you might put it in this way, they were so greedy that they wanted to use every day of the week to make more and make more and make more and fill their coffers. And God saying, listen, you're violating the Sabbath. And it was also commanded that every seven years they were to give the land a rest and not till the soil so that the soil also would have rest. And God punish them by sending them into captivity in Babylon. Let me ask you this. Does God take serious His commands? He does. You see, we have to recognize and realize that God's commands were not given just as arbitrary thoughts in the mind of God. And what I mean by that is God didn't establish His commands by saying, you know what, I think this would be a good one to command. I think that one would be a good command. Oh, let's think about this one. Yeah, that's a good one to command. No, God commanded for His glory and for our well-being. You get that? You see, we can look at God's commands one or two ways. We can look at them restrictive, or we can see that God is a gracious and loving Father, and He has given us commands that we must trust Him by faith and walk in for our good and benefit as well. After the children of Israel have been released from Babylon, and you remember Nehemiah had gone back to establish the temple And as he's back there in the Holy Land and he's reestablishing the temple and the sacrificial systems and all of that that would take place, Nehemiah records for us this. In those days I saw Judah, uh, the people in Judah, uh, treading on the wine presses on the Sabbath. In other words, they uh, they were mashing the grapes on the Sabbath. Why? So that they could make wine, so that they could sell it. Commerce was taking place on that day. They were bringing in heaps of grain and loading them on donkeys and also wine, grape, figs, and all kinds of loads. And they brought into Jerusalem all of this on the Sabbath day. And I warned them on that day, Nehemiah says, when they stood and sold food. As a result of that, he said, this is an evil thing that you're doing. You're profaning the Sabbath day. Did not your fathers act in this way? And did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on this city? Now you are bringing more wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. And if I could put it in parentheses, Nehemiah would say, didn't you remember anything from the 70 years in captivity? And now you're doing the same thing over again. He put a guard at the gate 
so that he might establish that merchants weren't able to bring in their goods to sell on the Sabbath because he respected and obeyed the command of God to separate that one day out of the week where there would not be any normal commerce and there would be rest for man and honor and glory to God on that day. You see, the big question that the Jews had the Pharisees in particular, was as they looked at the law and they wanted to respect the law of the Sabbath, they had the question, then what constitutes work? And this is where they got into trouble. Because they knew that regular commerce and activity, and God didn't give a whole lot of specifics on what could or couldn't be done on the Sabbath. And so they decided, you know, we're going to make up some other laws to answer the question as to what constitutes work on the Sabbath so that we don't violate them and we're going to make these laws and we're going to impose them on the people so that what might have seemed restrictive not to work on the Sabbath or to keep the Sabbath holy became a yoke that was placed on the people but that became more work in trying to keep the Sabbath than if they just followed God's command. You remember when God had provided the manna in the wilderness for the children of Israel. And every day they would go out and there would be manna there. God had, had, had brought it from heaven so that they might eat it. But God had established, listen, on the sixth day, you need to get enough manna that will last you for two days because I don't want you to have to go out in normal ways to try to toil for your sustenance, but get two days' worth and set it aside. Do you remember those that violated it and went out? It made them sick and some even died. You see, God judged that. They didn't want to violate the law, and so that's where they got into trouble. And in the time where Jesus now is on the scene, and, and He's being accused of violating the Sabbath, He has not violated the commands that God had given in the law, but really He was violating the additional commands that the rabbis had placed on the law in addition to what God's requirements were. And so they came up with all of these oral teachings, and they put it later after the destruction of Israel in a, in a format of a book where all the oral writings were displayed. And what we have here is the Mishnah, all of the other commands that they had laid out in order not to violate the commands of God. <laughs> just, just for comparison's sake. Now, this is all of the Testament. Can you imagine? No wonder Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. No wonder Jesus was really coming against them. No wonder, as Mark records, he had righteous indignation because they had violated God's law by placing other laws and restrictions. And really what they were doing was they were weighing down the people and they were violating God's commands. Here are some, here are some laws that were given. Now, the mission is broken up into six different categories. One of those happens to be the Sabbath. And let me just give you some instances of how they said this is a way that you uh, keep from breaking the command not to work. They said you can walk on the Sabbath, but you can't walk more than 200 paces. If you had to park down in that area of the parking lot, you'd just have to turn around and go back home. You couldn't come into the church service, right? 
They could not rub the grain, as I've said, or that would constitute work. They, they could not heal on the Sabbath. This is why they were accusing Jesus of breaking the Sabbath by healing this man with a withered hand. Because it was okay to heal on the Sabbath as long as it would save life. But if it wouldn't save life, whatever your misery might be, you had to wait till the next day to be saved. Kind of sounds like our healthcare system today, doesn't it? Okay. Do you, do you see the irony of that? You see how ridiculous that is? Here's another one, that if your house fell on you, true, you had to wait until after the Sabbath to be dug out by others. Maybe they could bring you water. I don't know. But you couldn't be dug out. You had to wait until the next day. If your ox, and we've heard this phrase, you know, I had an ox in the ditch. I had to get it out. If your ox literally fell in the ditch, you had to wait until after the Sabbath to get your ox out of the ditch. This is one that was for ladies. That if you brush your hair more than a certain number of times, then you violated the Sabbath. I wouldn't have a problem with that, and some of you wouldn't either. Now, we laugh about these things. And you see, here's, here's what Jesus was really messing up. Because as, as you read the, the Mishnah, and I, clear disclosure, I have not read all of this, nor will I, that associated with all of these things that one might do to violate the Sabbath... A part of their penance, if you will, was they had to offer a sin offering. Guess who received the sin offering? The priest. It's kind of like during the dark. You remember, and this is not to slam the Catholic Church, but it was that whole thing of penance. And you paid, a, you paid the church money so that you might be absolved and forgiven of your sins. It was a money racket. It was a game. And, and here Jesus is disrupting all of that. We laugh at it, but, you know, I find that we've been guilty of some of the same things, right? I remember when I was a kid growing up, I said to slam my dad, but I was not allowed to cut grass on Saturday. Why? Because I was violating the Sabbath. I wasn't allowed to shoot my gun on Sundays. Because it would be violating the Sabbath. I wasn't allowed to wash the car because it would violate the Sabbath. And I can remember in our country when all of a sudden, maybe McDonald's or some of the other franchises were beginning to open on Sundays. And, and we would, in the church, get in, up in arms of why are they opening on Sunday? But now it seems the same that may have gotten up in arms because restaurants were opening up on Sunday. They gripe and complain if I go five minutes over because they didn't get their table at their favorite restaurant. Now, if I've stepped on any toes this morning, please forgive me. I stomped on mine this week. It's the same thing. We do, we do this in other areas as well. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. He said that he and others have been called as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. 
I find that not only on the Sabbath, it's kind of ridiculous that we, that we do the same kind of things in order not to want to violate what God's commands are. We set all these other rules up and we become legalists. It's okay if it's our own conviction, but the moment it becomes our conviction, why is it that we feel like it has to be everybody else's conviction as well when it's not here in the Word of God? Some of you may remember, I remember in the 80s when uh, it was... All of a sudden, there's this, this thing with Halloween, and I'm not endorsing Halloween. Please don't misunderstand me. But, but I thought about it, and I was the first one to jump on board with, okay, we won't do Halloween, and we didn't let our kids do Halloween. My grandkids do now. Don't get offended, please. It's a personal conviction. And, and we came up with the idea of fall festival. Okay, we Christians, we're not going to do Halloween, but we're going to do fall festival. We'll do the same thing they do on Halloween, but we'll do it on the church property and everything will be fine then. These are my convictions. I'm not getting... Here's mine. We do the same thing with our giving, don't we? I can remember at a point when, when in my giving the tithe, and I can remember to this day because of what my income was back then, I wrote my tithe check for $72.36 every week. God, you're not going to get a penny more because this is what the law commands. Thank God He's liberated me from that, and I have the joy of being able to give well beyond that. Amen? You follow what I'm saying? You see, we do the same thing. While these commands have not been nullified, we, we seem to concentrate on the letter. And then I had the debate in my mind, should it be on the net or the gross? Here's another one. You're really going to think I was a bozo. You see, I had opinions on, on what kind of car a Christian should drive. I'd gone through Larry Burkett's training. You remember that? Good stuff. But I had determined in my mind that a Christian should not own a luxury car. Now I'd be a luxury truck. <laughs> that a Christian shouldn't have a house that was more than this many square feet, and certainly it shouldn't have any opulence to it. Listen, I don't feel like I'm pointing a finger at you because there's five pointing back at me. You see, this is... This is what I might say, in that day, you may have been able to slap a big P on me, meaning Pharisee. You see, if I had those convictions in my own life, that's between me and the Lord. But where I had crossed the line, I had done the same thing that the Pharisees did, and I would have imposed those same convictions on you and said, if you're not living up to those, then you're not really a good Christian. I'm ashamed to admit that. Some of you are there this morning. Remember what Jesus, I refer back to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6. He talks about fasting, which we, we looked at a couple of weeks ago. He says, man, don't, don't have the appearance that you're fasting. But have the appearance that you're not fasting because it's between you and God. When you're giving, don't, don't let the left hand know what the right hand is giving. In other words, don't, don't publicize. Don't, don't have any even self-pride in what you're giving. But that needs to be between you and the Lord. You see, in all of these matters, whether it's the Sabbath or our giving, etc., 
the question that we really need to, to, to answer and live by is that can I trust God and take Him at His word in faith and believe that if I practice the Sabbath concept, if I practice giving of the tithe and more, am I, can I trust God in that to make up what I feel like I might have missed out on by violating the Sabbath? That's really what it comes down to, right? Do we trust God? Do, do we believe Him and His Word? Do we trust that God is a faithful and loving God? Do we trust God that He's a holy God and to be revered and we need to obey Him? See, these are the ways they had violated. Now, let me, let me wrap this up this morning with how then should we as modern day believers live in respect to this Sabbath concept? And I want to point out some things. Jesus in His ministry... He never, ever, ever nullified the concept of the Sabbath. He didn't nullify it. In other words, He didn't do away with it. He only condemned the false practices by the Jewish religious leaders. Look at all of His accounts. He healed more than one on the Sabbath. He was condemning their yoke that they had put on others. We find the regular occurrence in Scripture and in the New Testament as well... Just as in the Old Testament or living under the, under the period of the Old Covenant of the Law, the Jews met together on the Sabbath for a particular reason, and this is the way they gave over in worship to God, we find the same precedence and practice happening in the New Testament as well. What we find, Jesus, in His life, every Sabbath, He had a regular habit of going to the synagogue. That was a set-apart time that he worshipped God and they observed the teachings of Scripture. Luke chapter 4, verses 14 to 21. Real quick, we find this, and these are other examples. And he, Jesus, taught in the synagogues. Jesus stood up to read on another occasion in the synagogue. And we find in the early church, after the ascension of Christ to the throne and the establishment of the church, here's what they practiced. And they devoted themselves, this is believers, New Testament believers, if you will, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. In other words, there was an assembled time that the saints came together to worship God, through teaching, the breaking of bread, fellowship, and in prayer. And so that's the pattern. That's the prescription. That's the prescription for us today, that it should be that way. Acts chapter 17, verses 2 and 3, Paul in, in, the, in the law of the Ten Commandments. I think this might be one of the commands that God had given that we as the modern church or followers of Christ may be more guilty of violating than any of the other commands. And I would propose to you that this command is just as valid as thou shalt not murder. Would everybody say amen to that? They're God's commands. When, when we look at our culture and our society, it's very evident that we live in a 724-365 society. Do you know what I mean by that? It, it seems like seven days of the week, 24 hours a day, 
365 days of the year, we seem to run helter-skelter. Isn't it that way? Uh, and with modern technology, which really is intended to make our life simpler, seems to make it more complex. Uh, it used to be that the only thing I had to worry about was answering a phone call. And then it got to the point of, well, you need to fax it over to me and I need to check my fax. Then the pagers came out. Do you remember the beepers? Okay. They came out and they went away. And then cell phones came out. And if you were like me, you spent a life savings on your first cell phone. And when you got the first month's bill, you realized you're going to have to work the rest of your life to pay for that cell phone bill. And then came along Facebook. And not only Facebook, but Facebook Messenger. And so where people would send us notes through Facebook and there's an expectation of a reply. And then came with the smartphones, texting that is very popular. And then there's Instagram and now there's email. And not just one email account, but I have my personal email account. I have the email account that I give to uh, stores that I never read. And then I have my work email account. And do you understand what I'm saying? And we feel this compulsion to be continually on and I would propose that that is not how God intended for us to live and when we look at this 724 365 society that we live uh, anthropologists psychologists doctors will tell us if you google this the effects of a busy culture or overwhelmed society, they will tell you that it has been one of the number one contributors to the breakdown of the family. Do you remember when mama said you're at the house at five o'clock because five o'clock is dinner and that's when we eat dinner together? The average family today eats dinner together about once every two weeks. And then often it is a, at a fast food restaurant where they're cramming it down to get to the kid's next activity. They'll tell you that it's been one of the most, uh, the highest contributing factor to the breakdown in our social structure, our social structure within our country. They'll tell you that this fast-paced living that we live, the 724-365, contributes to more health issues today than any other uh, event in our lives. Primarily because of the lack of sleep and the lack of healthy nutrition. Because we're going from this place to the next and we grab something at Bojangles. Now, whose toe did I just step on? <laughs> Mental health issues are related to this, leading oftentimes to depression and an overwhelming sense of anxiety. Financial issues, and one of the reasons for financial issues is because we spend money on stuff just because we're on the run. And the other thing, it feeds that depression and that sense of lack of purpose in life. Pretty bad news, huh? Lastly, I would say when I look at the church, or in particular the mission of the church to win people to Jesus to make disciples of them and to send them for Jesus, our 724-365 impedes more than anything else the mission that Jesus has given to us as a church and body of believers. 
Jesus is going to speak to this today in these two stories, Matthew chapter 2. If you remember at this time, Jesus is in about the end of the second year of his ministry, beginning the third year or so of his three-year ministries. Uh, And the Pharisees at this time, because Jesus had been doing some things. Remember last week, Jesus had claimed to be God by saying that he is authorized to forgive sin here on earth. And this ruffled the Pharisees' feathers. The miracles that he's performing, and in particular, the breaking, or what they would call the breaking of the Sabbath, they were looking for ways to bring charges against Jesus. You see, the Pharisees had developed a system of oral teachings that that were centered around the the law, but there were additional teachings, oral teachings, that they commanded so that it would keep others from violating the law. And the thing that Jesus was coming against most was the power that the Pharisees held over the people, and he was interrupting their side cash flow in a religious system. How many of you know you interrupt the cash, you're going to get people upset at you, right? And so Jesus is here at this time, and as a matter of fact, at the end of this, we're going to see for the first time that the Pharisees actually set in place a plot where they might kill Jesus. And so read with me and follow along as we begin looking, beginning at the 23rd verse of chapter 2. I want to make some comments as I read through both of these, and then I want to look at it in this approach, three-pronged. One is this. The Sabbath concept established by God. Now notice I'm going to use the term concept. The Sabbath concept established by God originally. What was it? And then we're going to see how in Jesus' day, leading up to that day, how the Sabbath concept had been corrupted and violated by religious leaders. And then lastly, as second, past the cross, as believers today, how then are we to live out and still adhere to what has never gone away, and that is the command to keep the Sabbath day holy, and how that should apply to our lives today. So follow along with me, beginning in verse 23. Mark records for us, one Sabbath, he, meaning Jesus, was going through the grain fields. And as they made their way, the disciples began to pluck heads of grain. Now, this would have been a wheat field, and they're walking, and the grain is probably up to their waist. And as they're going along, they're picking these grains from the wheat. And the Pharisees were saying to Jesus, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Now, according to God's command and the law, it was not unlawful to pick grain of wheat on the Sabbath. But the Pharisees, in their additional laws that they had placed on top of God's law, they had deemed it a violation of the Sabbath to even pick grain off the tip of the head of the wheat. And he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, and he was with those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and in the time of the high priest, and he ate the bread of the presence? which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also give it to those who were with him. And Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now Jesus is using a comparison here. 
Because his disciples were walking through and they were picking grain. And in the Pharisees' mind, the, the law was not necessarily broken when they, pitched the, when they picked the grain. But it was broken because they had to take the grain and rub it between their hands to separate the wheat from the shaft. And in that, they constituted that that was work on the Sabbath. And therefore, they had violated the Sabbath command. And Jesus uses David as an example here, another godly man who when he was there with his warriors entered into the holy place and the bread was there that was set aside, made for only the priest to eat. And when his men were hungry, they ate the bread. And Jesus makes the point, listen, the Sabbath was created for man, not man for the Sabbath. You see, the Pharisees were missing the heart of the issue and concentrating on the letter of the issue. Now let's look at the second story, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 3. Again, he entered the synagogue, and this is, of course, on the Sabbath day. It was actually Saturday, would have been the Sabbath day in the Jewish week calendar. He entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. They, they had their eyes fixed on Jesus and they were looking to see, let's see if he heals this man with a withered hand. And I assume and think that it may be possible that the Pharisees had set up this event hoping to trap Jesus to see whether or not he would heal on the Sabbath and violate their law. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to kill? And this is kind of an ironic rhetorical question Jesus is asking because the Pharisees taught, you know, it's okay to do good on the Sabbath, but you can't do evil. And Jesus was pointing out, which would be more evil? To not heal this man on the Sabbath who is in need of healing, or which would be most good, and that would be to heal this man of his lame hand. And so he looked around at them with anger. You might translate that more with righteous indignation. He looked around at the Pharisees with righteous indignation, and he was grieved at the hardness of their heart. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out immediately. They held counsel with the Herodians against Jesus. Now, it's interesting how two enemies can become friends when they're set against another enemy. Because the Herodians were supporters of Herod, who was favorable to Rome, and the Pharisees hated Rome. Now all of a sudden you find these two enemies, two diabolically opposed, uh, diabolically opposed political views coming together in order to come against Jesus. So they gathered together against Him to see how they might destroy Him, or other translations say, so that they might kill Him. Father, we pray that as we look at your word, and Lord, not just at your word, but Jesus, we look at the word, that's Jesus. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the word, the expression of God. Lord, that we might see your heart in this, Lord. That God, we would be a people who live according to the spirit and not according to the letter. Or for your word tells us, the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. In Jesus' name, amen. Now let's look at this point one. 
the Sabbath concept established. So we understand all that's taking place here in Mark. We've got to go all the way back to see when God established this day that was called Sabbath that was to be set apart from all of the other days. We find this very early in Scripture in Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. In the creation account, when God had created all things in six days, Moses records to us, and on the seventh day... God finished His work that He had done. And He rested on the seventh day from all His work that He had done. So God blessed the seventh day and He made it holy. Because on it, God rested from all His work that He had done in creation. Now the first thing I want to point out is God never gets tired, right? (laughs) So it wasn't as if God needed to rest from His creation on the seventh day. But he rested on that day as a model and a demonstration to us how that that seventh day for all of mankind was to be set apart as a day that was holy. And that word holy simply means set apart, meaning that it was going to be different from all of the other six days of the the week. And God set it aside and he rested on that day. Later, giving that as a command that we too would set aside that seventh day, set aside unto the Lord, different from our normal activity, so that it might be separated unto Him. And as Mark points out in his gospel, the Sabbath day was created for man and his well-being. Wouldn't it be nice to have a seventh day of the week that we just set aside from all normal activities just to rest and give it over to the Lord. Later we find this command given in the Ten Commandments, one of the ten, where God had established and given through the law of the Ten Commandments on Moses that He had set apart this holy day to be different from all the other days of normal commerce from the other six, and it was a day of rest that was to be dedicated to God. And we find this in Exodus chapter 20, beginning in verse 8, where God reiterates to the commandment through Moses, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Now, this is not an option that God has given to man. God has commanded that we remember the Sabbath day and we keep it holy, meaning set apart unto Him. He says, six days you shall labor and do all of your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you, your son, or your grand, or your daughter, your male servant, or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner, the visitor who is within your gates. For in six days, here he goes back to the creation account, as God set the concept of the Sabbath. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and it's all that's in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath, and he made it holy. One other instance that I want to refer us to. Do you remember when the children of Israel were led captive to Babylon? Well, one of the major violations that they were found guilty of is they had gotten to the place where they completely and continually violated the Sabbath that God had established. 
not only in their own lives and that they were continuing commerce, and you might put it in this way, they were so greedy that they wanted to use every day of the week to make more and make more and make more and fill their coffers. And God's saying, listen, you're violating the Sabbath. And it was also commanded that every seven years they were to give the land a rest and not till the soil so that the soil also would have rest. And God punish them by sending them into captivity in Babylon. Let me ask you this. Does God take serious His commands? He does. You see, we have to recognize and realize that God's commands were not given just as arbitrary thoughts in the mind of God. And what I mean by that is God didn't establish His commands by saying, you know what, I think this would be a good one to command. I think that one would be a good command. Oh, let's think about this one. Yeah, that's a good one to command. No, God commanded for His glory and for our well-being. You get that? You see, we can look at God's commands one or two ways. We can look at them restrictive, or we can see that God is a gracious and loving Father, and He has given us commands that we must trust Him by faith and walk in for our good and benefit as well. After the children of Israel have been released from Babylon, and you remember Nehemiah had gone back to establish the temple And as he's back there in the Holy Land and he's reestablishing the temple and the sacrificial systems and all of that that would take place, Nehemiah records for us this. In those days, I saw Judah, uh, the people in Judah, uh, treading on the wine presses on the Sabbath. In other words, they were were mashing the grapes on the Sabbath. Why? So that they could make wine, so that they could sell it. Commerce was taking place on that day. They were bringing in heaps of grain and loading them on donkeys and also wine, grape, figs, and all kinds of loads. And they brought into Jerusalem all of this on the Sabbath day. And I warned them on that day, Nehemiah says, when they stood and sold food. As a result of that, he said, this is an evil thing that you're doing. You're profaning the Sabbath day. Did not your fathers act in this way? And did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on this city? Now you are bringing more wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. And if I could put it in parentheses, Nehemiah would say, didn't you remember anything from the 70 years in captivity? And now you're doing the same thing over again. He put a guard at the gate so that he might establish that merchants weren't able to bring in their goods to sell on the Sabbath because he respected and obeyed the command of God to separate that one day out of the week where there would not be any normal commerce and there would be rest for man and honor and glory to God on that day. You see, the big question that the Jews had the Pharisees in particular, was as they looked at the law and they wanted to respect the law of the Sabbath, they had the question, then what constitutes work? And this is where they got into trouble. Because they knew that regular commerce and activity, and God didn't give a whole lot of specifics on what could or couldn't be done on the Sabbath. And so they decided, you know, we're going to make up some other laws to answer the question as to what constitutes work 
on the Sabbath so that we don't violate them. And we're going to make these laws and we're going to impose them on the people so that what might have seemed restrictive not to work on the Sabbath or to keep the Sabbath holy became a yoke that was placed on the people but that became more work in trying to keep the Sabbath than if they just follow God's command. You remember when God had provided the manna in the wilderness for the children of Israel. And every day they would go out and there would be manna there. God had, had, had brought it from heaven so that they might eat it. But God had established, listen, on the sixth day, you need to get enough manna that will last you for two days because I don't want you to have to go out in normal ways to try to toil for your sustenance, but get two days' worth and set it aside. Do you remember those that violated and went out? It made them sick and some even died. You see, God judged that. They didn't want to violate the law, and so that's where they got into trouble. And in the time where Jesus now is on the scene, and, and He's being accused of violating the Sabbath, He has not violated the commands that God had given in the law, but really He was violating the additional commands that the rabbis had placed on the law in addition to what God's requirements were. And so they came up with all of these oral teachings, and they put it later after the destruction of Israel in a, in a format of a book where all the oral writings were displayed. And what we have here is the Mishnah, all of the other commands that they had laid out in order not to violate the commands of God. <laughs> just, just for comparison's sake. Now, this is all of the Testament. Can you imagine? No wonder Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. No wonder Jesus was really coming against them. No wonder, as Mark records, he had righteous indignation because they had violated God's law by placing other laws and restrictions. And really what they were doing was they were weighing down the people and they were violating God's commands. Here are some, here are some laws that were given. Now, the mission is broken up into six different categories. One of those happens to be the Sabbath. And let me just give you some instances of how they said this is a way that you uh, keep from breaking the command not to work. They said you can walk on the Sabbath, but you can't walk more than 200 paces. If you had to park down in that area of the parking lot, you'd just have to turn around and go back home. You couldn't come into the church service, right? They could not rub the grain, as I've said, or that would constitute work. They, they could not heal on the Sabbath. This is why they were accusing Jesus of breaking the Sabbath by healing this man with a withered hand. Because it was okay to heal on the Sabbath as long as it would save life. But if it wouldn't save life, whatever your misery might be, you had to wait till the next day to be saved. Kind of sounds like our healthcare system today, doesn't it? Okay, Do you, do you see the irony of that? You see how ridiculous that is? Here's another one. That if your house fell on you. True. You had to wait until after the Sabbath to be dug out by others. <laughs> Maybe they could bring you water. I don't know. But you couldn't be dug out. You had to wait until the next day. 
If your ox, and we've heard this phrase, you know, I had an ox in the ditch, I had to get it out. If your ox literally fell in the ditch, you had to wait until after the Sabbath to get your ox out of the ditch. This is one that was for ladies. That if you brushed your hair more than a certain number of times, then you violated the Sabbath. I wouldn't have a problem with that, and some of you wouldn't either. Now, we laugh about these things. And you see, here's, here's what Jesus was really messing up. Because as, as you read the, the Mishnah, and I, clear disclosure, I have not read all of this, nor will I. That associated with all of these things that one might do to violate the Sabbath, a part of their penance, if you will, was they had to offer a sin offering. Guess who received the sin offering? The priest. It's kind of like during the dark. You remember, and this is not to slam the Catholic Church, but it was that whole thing of penance, and you paid a you paid the church money so that you might be absolved and forgiven of your sins. It was a money racket. It was a game, and and here Jesus is disrupting all of that. We laugh at it, but. You know, I find that we've been guilty of some of the same things, right? I remember when I was a kid growing up, I was in to slam my dad, but I was not allowed to cut grass on Saturday. Why? Because I was violating the Sabbath. I wasn't allowed to shoot my gun on Sundays because it would be violating the Sabbath. I wasn't allowed to wash the car because it would violate the Sabbath. And I can remember in our country when all of a sudden maybe McDonald's or some of the other franchises were beginning to open on Sundays. And, and we would, in the church, get in, up in arms of why are they opening on Sunday? But now it seems the same that may have gotten up in arms because restaurants were opening up on Sunday. They gripe and complain if I go five minutes over because they didn't get their table at their favorite restaurant. Now, if I've stepped on any toes this morning, please forgive me. I stomped on mine this week. It's the same thing. We do, we do this in other areas as well. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. He said that he and others have been called as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. I find that not only on the Sabbath, it's kind of ridiculous that we, that we do the same kind of things in order not to want to violate what God's commands are. We set all these other rules up and we become legalists. It's okay if it's our own conviction, but the moment it becomes our conviction, why is it that we feel like it has to be everybody else's conviction as well when it's not here in the Word of God? Some of you may remember, I remember in the 80s when uh, it was... All of a sudden, there's this, this thing with Halloween. And I'm not endorsing Halloween. Please don't misunderstand me. But, but I thought about it. And I was the first one to jump on board with, okay, we won't do Halloween. And we didn't let our kids do Halloween. My grandkids do now. Don't get offended, please. It's a personal conviction. And, and we came up with the idea of fall festival. 
Okay, we Christians, we're not going to do Halloween, but we're going to do fall festival. We'll do the same thing they do on Halloween, but we'll do it on the church property and everything will be fine then. These are my convictions. I'm not getting... Here's mine. We do the same thing with our giving, don't we? I can remember at a point when, when in my giving the tithe, and I can remember to this day because of what my income was back then, I wrote my tithe check for $72.36 every week. God, you're not going to get a penny more because this is what the law commands. Thank God He's liberated me from that, and I have the joy of being able to give well beyond that. Amen? You follow what I'm saying? You see, we do the same thing. While these commands have not been nullified, we, we seem to concentrate on the letter. And then I had the debate in my mind, should it be on the net or the gross? Here's another one. You're really going to think I was a bozo. You see, I had opinions on, on what kind of car a Christian should drive. I'd gone through Larry Burkett's training. You remember that? Good stuff. But I had determined in my mind that a Christian should not own a luxury car. Now I'd be a luxury truck. <laughs> that a Christian shouldn't have a house that was more than this many square feet. And certainly it shouldn't have any opulence to it. Listen. I... Don't feel like I'm pointing a finger at you because there's five pointing back at me. You see, this is, this is what I might say. In that day, you may have been able to slap a big P on me, meaning Pharisee. You see, if I had those convictions in my own life, that's between me and the Lord. But where I had crossed the line, I had done the same thing that the Pharisees did. And I would have imposed those same convictions on you and said, if you're not living up to those, then you're not really a good Christian. I'm ashamed to admit that. Some of you are there this morning. Remember what Jesus, I refer back to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6. He talks about fasting, which we, we looked at a couple of weeks ago. He says, man, don't, don't have the appearance that you're fasting. But have the appearance that you're not fasting because it's between you and God. When you're giving, don't. Don't let the left hand know what the right hand is given. In other words, don't, don't publicize. Don't, don't have any even self-pride in what you're giving. But that needs to be between you and the Lord. You see, in all of these matters, whether it's the Sabbath or our giving, etc., the question that we really need to, to, to answer and live by is that, can I trust God and take Him at His word in faith and believe that if I practice the Sabbath concept, if I practice giving of the tithe and more, am I, can I trust God in that to make up what I feel like I might have missed out on by violating the Sabbath? That's really what it comes down to, right? Do we trust God? Do, do we believe Him and His Word? Do we trust that God is a faithful and loving God? Do we trust God that He's a holy God and to be revered and we need to obey Him? 
See, these are the ways they had violated. Now, let me, let me wrap this up this morning with how then should we as modern day believers live in respect to this Sabbath concept? And I want to point out some things. Jesus in his ministry, he never, ever, ever nullified the concept of the Sabbath. He didn't nullify it. In other words, he didn't do away with it. He only condemned the false practices by the Jewish religious leaders. Look at all of his accounts. He healed more than one on the Sabbath. He was condemning their yoke that they had put on others. We find the regular occurrence in Scripture and in the New Testament as well. Just as in the Old Testament or living under the, under the period of the Old Covenant of the Law, the Jews met together on the Sabbath for a particular reason, and this is the way they gave over in worship to God, we find the same precedence and practice happening in the New Testament as well. What we find, Jesus, in His life, every Sabbath, He had a regular habit of going to the synagogue. That was a set-apart time that he worshipped God and they observed the teachings of Scripture. Luke chapter 4, verses 14 to 21. Real quick, we find this, and these are other examples. And he, Jesus, taught in the synagogues. Jesus stood up to read on another occasion in the synagogue. And we find in the early church, after the ascension of Christ to the throne and the establishment of the church, here's what they practiced. And they devoted themselves, this is believers, New Testament believers, if you will, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. In other words, there was an assembled time that the saints came together to worship God, through teaching, the breaking of bread, fellowship, and in prayer. And so that's the pattern. That's the prescription. That's the prescription for us today, that it should be that way. Acts chapter 17, verses 2 and 3. Paul went in, as it was his custom, on three Sabbath days. And he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and providing it was necessary for Christ to suffer and rise from the dead. So we see this in the ministry of Paul. We see it in the ministry of Peter. In other words, it is not a thing that's been done away with. The Sabbath is to be set apart unto the Lord. And the practice that has been there all the way back in the Old Testament through today still needs to be continued by us for our own good and God's glory. You see, nowhere in Scripture are Christians commanded to stop keeping the Sabbath. Colossians 2, verses 16 to 17, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new meaning or a Sabbath. Paul goes on in, in Romans chapter 14 to say this, One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats drinks in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one abstains, he abstains in honor to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. You see, there was a thing that the believers were being accused by the Judaizers of, of not keeping the Sabbath day, which was Saturday. And Paul saying, listen, it's not a matter of which day of the week it is. It is that you have a Sabbath day that's set apart unto the Lord so that you might rest, rejuvenate. 
Thursdays are my Sabbath. I mean, Sunday's a work day for me, right? It's the only day of the week I work. But, <clears throat> but where I stepped on my toe, you know, I find myself filling every day with work. And I love what I do. If I retire today, I do the same thing tomorrow. I, I'll be honest with you. But I, this week, I'm like, Lord, and I looked at my calendar, and I saw that, man, half of my day was filled with work stuff. And I said, okay, I'm not. I'm not going to reply to emails today. I'm not going to, I did one thing that I should have broke, but I did it anyway, okay? But what the Lord's telling, showing me is, listen, J-Mo, it's for your good that I've established a Sabbath rest for you. Let me conclude this way. How, how is it we need to, how is it we need to respond and make Sabbath a part of our everyday week? Number one, I would say this. Remember to keep the Lord's Day. And for us in our culture, it's Sundays. Remember to keep the Lord's Day as a day that's holy, separated, and distinct from the balance of the rest of the week. It's a day set apart. Resolve not to be legalistic about the Sabbath and miss the point like the Pharisees did, okay? Anybody have grass that needs to be cut today? It's okay. <laughs> you see, I like getting in my wood. I like making sawdust on my Sabbath. It's enjoyable to me. It's pleasurable. Rest in the benefits that God has given on this special day. You see, sometimes... We get the idea, well, man, how is, how is Sunday a rest when i got to get up, i got to go to church, and maybe I serve in an area. Listen, that is setting it apart unto the Lord. I'd say, on the other hand, the command is to work six days a week. <laughs> I'm not going over my 40, right? Our day should be set aside for worship. That should be our number one priority on the Sabbath. Somebody says, you know, I can worship God to deer stand. Yeah, you can. But that's not the precedence. That's not the prescription we see in Scripture. It calls us to worship together. Had lunch with a guy this week, a fellow pastor, church of about a hundred and he says, yeah, I mean, right now, he said, we had fall break. They were like us, affected by three counties. You know, attendance just plummeted. And now all his men are gone because they're in the stand every weekend. And he was talking to one of them and said, you know what, man, I, I really need you here. He says, listen, pastor, I give you nine months out of the year. My friend said, friend, you're not giving me nine months out of the year. It's, it's him that you're accountable to, not me. Right? Have it for community in the body of Christ. We do that through our small groups, Sunday school and Sunday mornings. It's a time for family. Can I pull this up? Man, pray for, your, pray for your children, your grandchildren. They are faced with it far more than we are right now. 
I mean, it seems like every kid's got to be involved in every single activity because if, if they're not involved in every activity, they're not going to become a professional football player or a baseball player. You know what I heard yesterday? 450,000 collegiate players are in our nation. You know how many of them will make it to the pros? 2%. But every, you take a poll around here, every young mom and dad thinks their kid's going to be the next Cy Young, right? Not that those things are bad, but... I'm telling you, it destroys the family. Relaxation, serving, ministry to the saints. I'll wrap it up with this. Recent poll, and I shared this with some of you. You know what is considered today, and this is within Southern Baptist, you know what, and, and it's also nationwide. You know what can, it is considered to be a regular church attender today? Or Sabbath observer, I might say? One and a half times a month. Now, you tell me that doesn't impede the mission. And I'm not saying that, man, we don't need times of relaxation, getting away and rest. That's good. But if we find that to be a pattern in our lives, we need to go before the Lord and say, Lord, is this okay? Are you good with this? I tell young couples all the time, and this is not preacher talk. I told them this before I was a pastor. I used to tell young couples, one of the most beneficial things that I think we established early on in our marriage after we came to know Christ was that we established and we said, you know, in our, in our household, the Sabbath is going to be kept and it's going to be regular. And my kids aren't perfect. Except Sarah, she'd tell you she is. But we establish that in the home that listen, we're going to put God first. I don't, I don't care what your dance instructor wants. I don't care what your soccer coach wants. Our family, we're going to establish because this is what God says, and it's for our good. It's not a legalistic thing, it's for our good and it's for His glory. I'm, I, I know this might be preaching to the choir today. You're here, right? <laughs> But if statistics are right, and some of you are here on your one, one of your one and a half times this month, please don't take this as a twist your arm kind of thing. It's not. I love you. God loves you. I want what's best for you far more than what He does. And I want what most of all that what is best for humanity Mankind is that they are lost and separated from God because of their sins. And they are going to spend a life in eternity. And that eternity will be either in the presence of God or separated from Him in hell. And the mission that He has given to us as the church is to reach them and make disciples. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Conyers, located in Conyers, Georgia. For more information about First Baptist Conyers, please visit us online at firstconyers.com.